So my levels look like the dots that they're supposed to be. Colette, what are your levels look like? Fuck, he would be so proud. I forget that, like, you're a real sweetheart, but you're also several parts fucking dusty and disgusting, like Django. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I'm like a mix of you young lovely boys and grizzled old dusty Django just shoving into a lady's body. Django, just so you know, I'm sitting in your seat, so I will be belching for you, also. (laughs) She's on your mic, also. Washington's premier comics podcast, uh, where every Tuesday we get a bunch of books, we super excitedly sort them, we read them in our home quiet places, we bring them back here uh, and talk to all of our wonderful customers and subscribers um, about what was awesome, and then as an escape from the commercial aspect of the comic books, we come up here into the Sanctum Sanctorum and use it as an excuse to actually hang out while not on the clock, which is pretty cool. Uh. Fucking A, Django Colette. Django slash Colette. Django hyphen Colette. Um, yeah, I'm Jeff, and it's hard to miss Django when Colette's here. <laughs> I'm Colette, filling in for Django and his belches. And I'm Roman, and I, you know, whichever one's here, Colette or Django, I always get to sit right next to him, and it's very special. And smelly. Um, this <laughs> That's how it's special. We're going to be talking about Grass Kings, number 15, Doomsday Clock, number 5, Vampironica, number 2. Amazing Spider-Man, number 800, Judge Dredd, Under Siege, number one, and The Man of Steel, number one. Colette. Yes, Jeffrey? I didn't notice, actually, at first, but is there something feeding off of your life force (laughs) right now? (laughs) There is a little something feeding off my life force. If I've seemed extra cranky and or spacey or bad at my job for basically since January and you hadn't noticed that I was getting fatter, it's because there's a little xenomorph growing inside my belly. And I saw a picture of it yesterday, and it looks like a xenomorph. It's got the spine. It does. Um, I didn't know spines, babies did that. It's all spine. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty cool. When they first did it, too, that was the shot that just had the spine, but when she first was doing the ultrasound yesterday, I got an ultrasound yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Like, the first shot was, like, spine just right down the center of his back and all of his ribs coming off, and it was like, holy fuck, like, that's a... This dude (laughs) That's gonna be a person, like... That's um, crazy shit. Wow. I would say no one no one thinks you're getting bad at your job, Colette, <laughs> but... Uh, Just closer to where everybody else is I at with doing their job. Cons- <laughs> I have a legitimate... Do you have nightmares that it is a xenomorph? Have you had any nightmares? Well, I'm gonna now. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> sorry. That's like me being nervous about peeing in public. One day I was like, I never get nervous about peeing in public. It never takes me any time to do it. And then Django was like, man, sometimes... I can get a little nervous about peeing in public or something like that. And uh, and I was like, man, I wonder if I just thought about it, if it would give me a shy bladder. And from that moment on, <laughs> I have had, like, a shy bladder. So, yeah. I just realized that things. you're talking about, like, at a urinal, right? Yeah, Not, yeah. like, 
I thought you were talking about like just peeing yourself randomly in public, and I was just <laughs> thinking like that's supposedly something I get to look forward to after this whole miracle of childbirth bullshit. So this is totally <laughs> random and an aside, but wait, when after I was... the yeah childbirth. Oh, I thought it happened before. It, I mean, it can happen. It's possible. It's going to be a, a lovely part of my life for a good span of before and after. Peeing yourself? Potentially, yes. Well, when so, I was like we you some diapers? nine or ten, I uh, was in a Walmart, <laughs> and I don't remember why, but I wanted to see if I could pee myself. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, 100%. I bet the answer was yes. <laughs> yeah, it is. It was. And I don't know why my young self thought that it would be like a challenge worth confronting like can I start peeing not at a toilet but I love you so I can much. and I had a big pee on my pants and I don't know why in retrospect I did that and maybe that's why sometimes I can have a shy bladder brains are powerful you, you is know, my point they are um, you guys Grass Kings is over <sighs> we all like this book yep love now that it's book. done so, Colette, you're not on here every single week, but this is one that you've been loving since the beginning as well. Yeah, this is one of my, it's going to be in my favorite books of all time. And luckily Mini it's stack. in those, like, three hardcovers. Oh, they're I can't beautiful. I have those. Yeah. No, this uh, it, this is one of those issues, too, where I'm, I am so sad that this series is over, but also so pleased with this final issue that it... Yeah. Worth mentioning serious spoilers um, for all of the books that we're going to be talking about. So read your books and come back or just wait to read them. Um, but yeah, there's some huge spoilers that we're going to talk about. Yeah, you're going to want to fast forward through this section if you haven't read this book yet yeah, and feel like reading it. It's cause... really like, I would describe this book as like the best book no one was reading. Yeah. Um, so really, if you haven't read Grass Kings, you should skip skip this portion of it. Maybe I'll throw a timestamp of when we finish this uh, issue up because it's a really great uh, rural mystery story and um, I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but I do want to talk about it with you guys. How did y'all feel about the end of this whole series or this kind of whole thing? I, I, <laughs> I don't know who wants to go first, but I I'm now we talking. We right so. to talk on top of each other. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> okay. no, no. Um, yeah man, I... I loved it. The The first half of the book actually telling, like, the end of the story arc. The second half is kind of a, like, you know, the epilogue wrap-up, where are they now, a year after yeah. the fact kind of thing. But this, the first half of this was just, oh, man, it was kind of perfect. You've got basically the murderer that we had hinted at from the beginning that you weren't sure kind of after the first story arc, it was like, is this even about a murderer right? anymore? Yeah. And then it switched back around to it, and you've got him narrating his whole philosophy around why he was doing this and that his motivations weren't... It's not about killing, it's that he's desperate to see the aftermath and everyone's lives crumbling because of one person dying. And like, it's, It was some ooky stuff. Yeah, It was ooky stuff, and... And so compelling. And then the way that they discover who it is and and take their revenge as Dude. the kingdom was. I was sitting there just like it. Oh, I, really <laughs> was, wanted, I, I had a giant smile on my face <laughs> as I was like shivering, creeped out. Yeah, I, really I, was, I was chuckling about call in or something. Oh, yeah. Justin would love the, how they 
punish this guy because yeah. it's so mythic. Yeah. Yeah. But just the lead up to it, too. I, the thing that's been so incredible with this book through the whole thing is it's it's a relatively quick read each issue. But you've got to go back through because there's so many layers mm. of references within the art it's and hugely subtle the the word choices for the the dialogue are really important and there's just some amazing things like in the in the epilogue you've got you've got like Bruce's future where he's running for sheriff mm-hmm. And you've got him sitting in front of a window with the blinds half closed and there's the little pole on the blinds and then Humbert Jr. is in the panel below and the the pole for the blinds in his window is wrapped in the shape of a noose as yeah. his life is falling apart and just The final page of just Robert there with the king is dead and then the next final page is long live the king and then welcome to grass kingdom trespassers will be shot like that, that and like Ugh. the way that they use white space there have one panel like it's that one little panel in the middle yeah. of the blank page it's beautiful it, and every aspect like every single issue of this book 15 issues is a year and a half now every single issue has been beautiful in a different mm-hmm. way uh, and there's some really amazing storytelling stuff like from the beginning like just like you said like it could have gone kind of any way. I'm really mm-hmm. surprised it ended at 15 issues. Like, I, yeah. I could have gone for another 30, for mm-hmm. sure. Oh, I would love to be in this world for the next, you know, 10 years. Yeah. Be able to see where each and every one and of these characters goes. And who shows up and who leaves and who dies. And yeah. Who, yeah, and yeah, every now and then little interludes with, like, Asher and Pinball or something. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know... Like, from issue one, like, we loved this book. Mm-hmm. And I, even now that it's done, like, looking at it, I can't really put my finger on what about it was so compelling. Like, something about just, like, that absolute freedom of a sort of autonomous living state like that. Um, There's something so beautifully compelling about how simplistic it came across but there was so much depth. You knew these people. They were such rich characters. The art was so rich, and yet it felt so easy yeah. and clean and simple. Like It was presented in a a really palatable... And I mean, like, that's maybe not the right word. No, I mean, like you're right. Like There was so much character work and world building, but it also, it never... There was not one single issue that like was super text-heavy. Mm-hmm. Like, it never... Like the art did so much of the storytelling, um, which is like Tyler Jenkins. So Matt Kent and Tyler Jenkins on this. Uh, Hillary Jenkins did the colors, but um, the art is like it. It reminds me of like Jeff Lemire and the way that like when you read like Sweet Tooth or Essex County mm-hmm. or one of his books, um, it it could only work with like that writing and his art as well. And like everything is kind of gross and disfigured, and like the, like this art is super beautiful and also like. It emotes. Yeah. It's not just... It's messy. ...showing you images. It's emotion through art. It's super, super well done. And I don't know why it's over. Like, I don't know if this is the end of the story. I don't know if no one was reading it and the ratings were, like, the the, the sales were low, so... I got the feeling from... I don't remember where I picked this up, but somehow it's in my head that this was the arc that he wanted to tell from the get-go. I... 
could be making that up, but I'm pretty sure I heard that somewhere. I feel like I could use like 10 more issues in the middle. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that it feels like the end was the planned part, but I feel like there was just some more middle stuff that could have been explored. I feel like the woman um, sort of waking up there and coming out of the ocean to begin with, Mm -hmm. um, I guess is a strong inciting incident, but it didn't, I thought maybe there was going to be some more going on there. Yeah. I, I just think it's such a beautiful example of storytelling Mm. that I want more. Like how each arc had a really subtle, but very definite tone setting for every issue. Like the first arc you had some sort of gruesome death that had happened in that area Mm -hmm. throughout history and then the story coming Mm -hmm. off of that and setting up this like history to this land and it has so much um, heft to it yeah the second volume was all like the opening cover page like the back of the cover um all of them were like visual metaphors that then the issue itself like animals that were then yeah depicted through the people yeah Yeah. and like they were living a story that was the same as these animals and like that is super advanced like storytelling but comic booking as well like it was somebody who uses comic books to like the the best of its ability yeah yeah this is definitely something that could only happen in comics yeah a lot of comics you can picture them as a movie or TV show, and I, this wouldn't be as effective. No, you're that. absolutely right. Yeah, without the watercolors, water colors. It's Walter. Uh, <laughs> Walter colors. The Walter colors. <laughs> oh man, and the, and the uh, since we haven't revealed who the killer is, I won't either. But I guess yeah, just, yeah, just, yeah, just strong I can't warning. Bring and now it. I feel it was so well done, and the the he's I think most this almost all this issue, it's his, from his viewpoint, his narration, and it's so deceptively simply done, just his words giving a pick, peek into his psyche and his thinking, and it all makes this horrible kind of sense from a, a psychopath's viewpoint, and it's so well done, this, this I don't want to say too much. Well, but so let's spoil some fucking shit because this is why we're here. All right. um, we got these cool boots on. Let's stomp in the mud. What I really, really <laughs> love. So the the killer was the author. Yeah, Hemi- um, Hemingway. And they had introduced him in Not the that first Hemingway. issue. Uh, right. Both authors, though. Um, they introduced him in the first issue. He was sort of always kind of around, but not for large periods. But he was a person that... Um, if you meet a character halfway through a story, it's easier to forget them than the characters you meet in the mm. first issue. Yeah. So mm-hmm. he really stood out. Um, but what I really liked in this issue is we found out who the murderer was in this issue, and over the course of a half of an issue, they made you like hate him and want to punish him in a way that's like you've watched him be bad for 15 issues, but you hadn't. So when... Uh, when but, you know, they burn his book, and the whole time he's talking about, well, I'm, you know, like, I, this is my life's work. I wanted to go out there. And no you one know has the, ever done right. what I've done. And I am completely special and unique. That was so well and, done, too, because yeah. apparently most psychopaths, serial killers, think that about themselves. Well, and they want notoriety, too. Yeah. You yeah. know, like, they're always playing this game. So the fact that they burnt the book, that was, to me, like, the best punishment. Was yeah. Like, yeah, well, your yeah, life that, work, yeah, that breaks No it. one's going to know. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, that, that was brilliant. And that was, yeah. like, the really cathartic part to me. Me, was just mm-hmm. like, oh, you get your punishment now. So, I I mean, we could literally record an entire podcast yeah. about yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Probably move on. Um, 
I give I guess. yeah, I give this <laughs> issue a nine point five, and I'm gonna give the series a nine point five. It's I, the only complaint I would have is that it came out monthly and it was such a dense story and that some of the characters were drawn in a way that if I had taken a month off between issues, uh, it was hard to discern faces, uh, particularly between uh, Humbert Jr. and Robert's brother. Um, but uh, it's one of my favorite things that's come out in comics in the last two years and no one really read it and that's a real shame. Um, I hope that it was well received. There are some beautiful hardcovers coming out. We love it. But yeah, 9.5 for the issue in the series. I I would go 9.5 also. I I'm mm-hmm. I have an issue with giving a 10. It's kind of something I'm just against, but I'm I, I, I'm I with have, you. A, I'm a weird totally... like nothing's ever been perfect yeah, to me, but you like and I are those same angsty teens. Like, yeah. <laughs> I would give this as high of a rating as I am comfortable giving any book or thing. And this is something that I am, like, if you haven't read this yet, God, you're going to be so happy when you read it in train. Because I'm spoiled it. super looking forward to rereading this yeah. all in yeah. one one go yeah, now that me, it's done. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, I'll do the same as Jeff, yeah, and, and you, 9.5 for series N and this issue. For the same reason, I mean, the art's beautiful, but yeah, a lot of times, and there's people in this issue, people recalling little moments of their grief from their loved ones that were killed, and a lot of them, I was like, I have no idea who these people are, Yeah. and some of them, I guess, it, you know, it doesn't matter for the overall story, but yeah, I couldn't recognize people. Same thing with Robert's brother and... Humbert Jr. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I never knew which one was which. But it never, it, it, never enough, like, it was so beautiful, it was never a bummer. Yeah, yeah. It was, um, wasn't a big deal. Gosh. Also, I guess similarly related to Beautiful and Not a Bummer, Doomsday Clock, number five. Colette, are you planning on reading this whole series? Do you care? I intend to, uh, but I, I started trying to get... I'd read the first issue, and then I got behind, and I tried to get caught up before today, and I got through issue two. That's like I, a day's worth of reading. Yeah, <laughs> I reread number one because it had been so long, and then I read number two, and I don't... It's not grabbing me yeah. in the way I would hope. And I think part of it's that, like, I loved Watchmen. Um, and there's parts of the DC universe I really like. But I think that so far, at least, it's just been parts of both that are the parts I don't care about yeah. <laughs> so much. So I'm like, <clears throat> I'll read it eventually. Um, well, But spoil wh- things. That's fine. That's well, fine. so this is done by Jeff Johns and uh, Gary Frank. And it's issue five of Doomsday Clock. We've talked about every issue. Um, not... I feel like a huge amount of new stuff to say. I, I really, really like it, but it's like a work comic. Like, it's not a thing that is immediately gratifying ever. And I really, really like stories that feel like a complex mathematical art piece that is being solved and is bigger than me. I really like that. I know that is why, not why, a lot of people read comics. Um, uh it's a bummer to not have Braden here because I know he's the big Doomsday Clock champion. Um, but I will do my best to sort of carry the flag of this book. Um, but anyway, yeah, I mean, I, honestly, my big complaint of this book is just that if it's coming out every two months, you've you've changed what this is and it, it's become a book that's going to live in trade. But it's really hard to enjoy a book that's coming out like every two months and all you the news you ever hear is like delay notifications about it um 
that's just a bummer. Uh, and so it just had like this particular issue forced me to sort of reevaluate like, okay, I love this book. I can't wait to read it all together, but it's almost like I need to reread all the issues when a new one comes out to really enjoy it. And I didn't do that this time and I still really enjoyed it, but, uh, it, it's, it's big fault at this point, I would say is the publication schedule. Roman, what did you think about it? DC historian? I, well, I love this one. I mean, I loved every issue so far, but, I got such a blast out of this. Um, <clears throat> one of the reasons, because it, well, uh, in the beginning, when Adrian escapes from the hospital, the way he does that, Ozzy Mandias, Mandias mm-hmm. um, the way he does that is so clever, and his dialogue is great. But, you know, one of the things I loved is all these little nods to obscure DC superheroes and their political ties. Like, if we, right away, we see Hawk and Dove getting in trouble with the Rocket Reds over in Russia. And Hawk and Dove is always part of the most interesting thing about them. Is Hawk is a is a conservative douchebag, and Dove is a peacenik liberal, um, and they're a team. So that's always an interesting thing. When they bring back, they brought back the uh, Russian version of Firestorm, um, hmm. Pulsar, which I I'd forgotten about him because there's this whole thing going on with Russia and the Superman theory that the government has been creating superheroes in order to dominate the world and turned out kind of Russia's kind of maybe doing something similar with them. So the whole superhero arm, well, arms race in a way. But yeah, all the little nods. Um, Johnny Thunder escapes from his old folks' home. This is eventually, I'm sure, going to lead to the return of the Justice Society. Little nods like Saturn Girls hanging out with Rorschach. They've got a Legion flight ring in the bag. There's even a a toy behind Rorschach's head on the shelf. That's Maskatron from the $6 million man toys from the seventies. <laughs> I love this stuff. <laughs> so much fun. Uh, I mean, when he's escaped, when Johnny Thunder's escaping, there's the older old guy in the apartment upstairs is watching the um, Nathaniel Dusk movies, which is, they were never movies. They're based on a comic book that Django and I were like the only ones that have read it, but from the eighties. Um, and like what I thought was really really fun about this because I lack the the history that you have to enjoy that sort of stuff. But what I really really love is like the instances of of how well like the craft itself. Like when you get that you know near the end of the issue, you get those nine panel grids uh, balancing, basically balancing whoever is finding that Green Lantern. It's not Alan Scott. No, that's Johnny Thunder. Okay, so Johnny Thunder, which is a character I don't know. He but... he, he was the mascot of the JSA. He was. Kind of a dope, but he had the magic thunderbolt. He'd say, say you, and the pink thunderbolt would show up and do anything. So there's this scene where basically he's stumbling upon the Green Lanterns. <laughs> yeah, Grant Morrison did a whole big thing with him in his JLA run. And uh, <laughs> he's finding it, and at the same time, Batman is getting the shit beaten out of him by a crowd. Yeah. And, but when they choose to be alternating panels, you got a panel of Batman, you got a panel of Green Lantern guy, Batman, Green... Uh, and at one point, it lays out uh, in such a way that, like, two panels that are right next to each other are mirrored images of Batman being punched by a fist and then reflected as Johnny Thunder getting punched by a fist. Um, and oh, yeah. I just love moments like that because it made me, like, I, I stopped and I was like, all right, well, what are the mer- metaphorical, you know, relationships between these two characters? How are these two scenes like, if you're visually mirroring mm. them, then I, I have to think that thematically or metaphorically there's mirroring going on as well. And I love, like, that type of stuff. Yeah. And, and it forces me to, you know, again, realize that I don't, I don't know enough to appreciate this as much as, like, you and Django. And I, that makes me love it all the more. Um, 
But I do love this feeling of sort of wandering through the haze and seeing all these hints that there is like a method to the madness. Yeah, and, and same here in a different way. I I mean, I read this quickly. I didn't notice that mirroring. And you saying that, I'm like, yeah, this, the theme here is the classic Golden Age pulp heroes that Ozymandias actually makes fun of to Batman, saying it's so infantile. And here they are literally getting beaten down and that world destroyed, apparently, we think. Um, and yeah, I didn't, I didn't see that earlier. So what do you give it? Uh, I will give this... I'll give it a 10. Woohoo! He drops that phantom dong of a tan out. Just, I love doing tens. He drops those hammers. This is one of those comics that just made me feel good all over. I love that, dude. I like. I really. There are times where I finish comic books, and like this is this is one of them. And I actually wasn't necessarily sure how people were gonna feel, but um, I love when I'm like, that was pretty good, and then Roman's like, it was a ten, and I'm like that. Like, I vicariously experience things more uh, knowing that you're such a joyful, joyful boy. Um, <laughs> I'm going to give this one an 8.5. Uh, I liked it more than the last one. I think it's great, and it's this connective tissue and um, linking this huge story together that I think is a lot of fun, and it's the type of fun that I really like to have, but I really do understand that it's not the type of fun that everyone wants to have. Um, and I support people for uh, not being into it if, if they're just not into that type of story. Um, Vampironica, number two, Greg Smallwood and Meg Smallwood. Meg. Holy shit, I, like, the story of this book for me is this art is so pretty. The art it's is so, so good, pretty. Yeah. It's facial expressions. Oh. Wow. And it's unique paneling, and, uh, yeah, Greg Smallwood, so he's writing and do, 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 do the art do. Arty? Uh, he and his wife are writing it, and he's doing the art. Um, but he had done the art in Jeff Lemire's Moon Knight, and we really liked that book. But I think oh, that yeah. it shines even more here in the sort of slow, subtle, dark horror stuff that this book's all about. It's got such a classic, pulpy, noir kind of a feel to it, and something about those all those soft edges are just so perfect for that. Yeah, like, it's like everything is airbrushed. Like, if you were mm -hmm. to zoom in, there's not any solid lines. It's, like, all, like, dotted. Like, it's just, it's soft. It's so soft. I love it. Yeah. How do you feel about the story? It's fun. I, it, <laughs> I like it's, I it's, it's a Saturday matinee horror movie, like or With midnight movie director. kind yeah. of thing. Like you'd you'd expect Elvira to be showing this movie, and you'd be happily be watching it in your pajamas on your couch, eating yeah. popcorn and whatever junk <laughs> food. And it's fun. It's this issue. I like how this is kind of like okay. There's a billion vampire myths out there. This one kind of just spells out these are the kind of vampires that we're working with. This is yeah. the mm -hmm. the canon that we're that this world with is within and it's not overly detailed. It's not like heavy-handed, but it's it, it's a good clarifying setup issue along with just being fun. Like I I just love this whole teenage girl lost in the woods You're, she should be the one being eaten by a vampire but she's now the vampire kind of concept that's going on with it and it's man it's i love fun. the page where she ends up sleeping alone in the basement of a school mm -hmm. like the the panel layout of that page it's only five panels 
the top one is a big horizontal panel, then right below it are three small panels, and the whole bottom half of the page is this large image. And like, I paused on that page for like a minute and a half, which is a good amount of time to be looking at a page. Mm -hmm. Oh, Roman. Sorry. Angry bird face. I love <laughs> no, that no, face. I'm sorry, yawned. Yeah, I know, What's we all the yawned. Yours is just fucking terrifying. <laughs> That's gonna be one of the threads of this podcast, this is that like, you know, episode 150, we'll be able to extract like 12 instances of my shocked, shocked reaction to your yawn face. I wish I knew what that looked like. It's terrifying. It's I'm like sorry. A, it's like a page of Vampironica. Now I feel like I can't look at the books and I need to be watching always, Roman so that I can see this. That's the benefit of this side of the aloe vera yeah. tub, is that you can always see. Thank you again for coming to the house to my bathroom <laughs> to record time. this so that I can Roman. Pass up the opportunity to be in a bathtub with Jeffrey. It's a lot I of should. aloe vera. I got very sunburned. <laughs> um, I'm a big old pink guy. No, but this, like, it's... It's, I don't know, that there, there is, that was something about that page. Such a, yeah, such a touching page in that whole mm -hmm. sequence. Because she's so alone. And it's Veronica, I mean, she's never alone. But but this horror of this is, like she says at some point, I think, um, where does she say it, when Dilton wakes her up or something, that, uh, and he says that she doesn't look good or something, and she said, and the first thing out of her mouth is like, oh, I've never been told that before that she's yeah. not pretty. <laughs> um, Roman, here's a panel that I think that you loved: uh, the facial expression on her when she breaks. I do love that. I, I picked that out just a few minutes ago because I was like, oh my god, that's so great. And the panel when she meets Dilton's mom, mm -hmm. just that little cute coy look. And Dilton's mom is just super pumped that there's a girl in the house. Like, yeah. Well, Dilton. And, and, and this whole sequence goes back to what Colette was saying, because I do love that they, it's not just a, a really good B vampire story. They throw this party in here with a character that we already know with Archie, Dilton, the perfect character who explained what we're mm -hmm. dealing with here, a little history lesson on the what these kind of vampires. With. And that was so nicely done. Wasn't heavy handed. Mm -hmm. Just, just boom, perfect. I give this uh, a seven point. No, I give it an eight. I give it an eight. Uh, like, this. I think the story is totally fine. I wouldn't necessarily love the story so much if the art wasn't so well paced and pretty. Uh, if the, if this were a different artist on the book, it would be a less exciting thing for me. But the fact that it's coming from this sort of couple's brain and his brush, yeah, uh, it's it's an eight for for sure for me. Very good. Yeah, like compare this say with Jughead the Hunger and I love werewolves they're my favorite classic movie monster but this is sorry Jughead this is so much better than Jughead the Hunger and part of that I think is the art in that I'm like eh doesn't really do much for me yeah but yeah this I, I, I'll give I'll give that and I'll get, we're not doing points anymore are we well, I've done a lot of point fives today. Have you? Um, yeah. We, we all did. Oh, yeah. We did 9.5. Oh, right. I did an right. 8.5, and then I did an 8. But Phil gets very upset yeah, about the point fives. Yeah. And he came Aww. in today, and I've never seen his face so red because I must have <laughs> given a point five last week. But he had a gavel, and he started banging it on the counter, and he said, not in my court. Actually, he started by saying, court is in session, and he banged it, and then he started yelling, and... <laughs> Gosh. I love that, Phil, but uh, if he threatens you like that again, yeah. he's going to have hell to pay. You yeah. don't mess with my Jeffy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Phil, I love you're when lovely, people call but... me Jeffy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would give it, I'm going to give it a seven. I really enjoy this. I just don't have the attachment to the Archie universe that other people do, and I think I'm losing a little bit just because of that, but, but I'm really enjoying this book. I think it's real pretty. It's fun. It's good. Just solid read. So, seven. Ugh. <sighs> God, you kids. 
<laughs> you kids, gosh. Um, this is a social dynamic we've never had on the Comics Place Perfectly Acceptable Comics podcast. Huh? Oh, yeah. The three of us have never recorded really? a podcast. I thought we had. This is only my fourth podcast, I think. Fourth, to, and I wasn't together. on the last one. The one yeah. before that, I mean, Django was well, here. What was the last one ben, you were on? What it was, was Yumi and Django. It was the old people I was group. Gone. Oh, that's right. It was Django. Yeah. yeah. Dr. Um, Dust. Dr. Dust. <laughs> Django. Oh, Django. That is a good that is a good superhero name. <laughs> or if you're gonna start a band. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Also would be a good persona. Holy shit. I think that he was the vocalist for Dr. Dust when he was in high oh, school. Yeah. Dr. Dust was a big New Orleans thing. Mm-hmm. We all know that he was a big New Orleans. I can't keep lying. I can't <laughs> keep being such a liar. I'm sorry for lying about you, Phil and Django. Um, Amazing Spider-Man 800. This novel that we all read. Um, Not me. By Dan... S- you didn't read it, Roman? Holy... I'm going to read it. I, 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 I was so intimidating, I read my other stuff beforehand and didn't get around to it. It's at I home. Had, I had to, it. like, start it. It was 80 pages. Yeah. Yeah. All that one is, story. That is, like... <laughs> all solid. Three and a half issues of comic. Yeah, I started wow. with this guy, and I was like, I had a window of time to read a bunch of stuff, mm-hmm. and I started with this one, and I looked at the clock when I was done, and I went, well, crap, <laughs> I'm gonna, yeah, I can maybe get one more thing. <laughs> um, gosh, there's a, a slew of credits on this book, but uh, we do know that Dan Slott did the writing, and the art was done by some very talented artists, a slew of them, really, uh, yeah. and I found those now. A spider slew. Um, we've got Nick Bradshaw, Humberto Ramos, Giuseppe Camancoli, Stuart Immonen, and Giuseppe Camancoli, and Marcos Martin. Um, two Giuseppes. Two Giuseppes, if you can believe it. Or were they the same one? They were. Okay. Uh, they were the same guy. Um, Roman, I'm a little worried that we're going to spoil some things for you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it. Just go ahead. I'm, okay. I'm, I've been reading. I've read every issue of Dan Slot Spider-Man, so... That's and, and you know, long. I knew that, and that's one of the reasons why, having not read any of it, I was like, well, I got to make sure that I read <laughs> Amazing Spider-Man 800, because we're going to talk about it, because so Roman is, will have read what it. What is dude well, so there will read probably, any of the, it But there probably like. won't be a lot of spoilers. You know, spoilers. I enjoyed myself. There was a big death, so we'll spoil that. Yeah. Does Spider-Man die? Oh, man. Spider-Man, yeah, Peter Aunt May, Parker, and Mary and, all yep. get downed. Um, Step up, Miles. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm... As most people in the world must be, if you're at all any sort of a nerd, I'm familiar enough with the <laughs> universe and the characters to be able to not be completely lost with what's going on. But it was a fun story, even having not read any of the other stuff. If you're if you're not a Spider-Man reader and you saw this on the shelf and you felt like, eh, I'll be lost. No, you can buy it. Um, yeah, that's... That's not the bestseller. No, I'm I'm just I I'm trying to piece were together enough to actually say about this, which I should have more since it was eighty fucking yeah. pages long. It was was so it, much. Were you moved? Were you touched? I don't think I care enough. I, I don't have the connection to the world enough to be able to be moved, but I was interested and you know, there was there was gravity when people died. That you, there was God. oh good she got away kind of yeah. feeling, but not. Oh, I totally a... want to know who died. <laughs> Flash Thompson got fucking murked. Did and, he? And 
And Wait, does Mert mean murdered? Yeah. He, he heroically <laughs> went yeah, he'll out. He'll be back. But like, <laughs> he'll be back. I had an awesome customer in our store, Pete Young, who like a month ago came in and was like, Dan Slott's totally going to kill Flash Thompson. And I was like, <laughs> what? And he's like, yeah, he's leaving at 801. Writers like always sort of kill the right the characters that were around when they started and rose to prominence in their run, and when they leave, they always kill them. And I was like, I don't know. He's like, he's gonna do it. A so sleepy I, no- boy knows a lot. Dude, sleepy Pete <laughs> knows a lot. Nighty night. Um, and uh, also shout out Nicholas Wankowski is the one who predicted that the Grass Grass Kings killer was the author. Oh really? Um, wow. He was the one who was like, I figured it out. Yeah. Too. He told me like a month and a half ago, he was like, it's the author. And I was like, oh, really? And he's like, it's totally the author. And then I had suggested that today and got shut down a couple times. But Wow. um, Isn't that funny? Because just going back to Grassland quickly, I didn't think we were ever going to actually find out. Mm. I never expected it to get solved. And I I wouldn't have thought that. I thought it was Hemingway until issue before last, they introduced Robert and Bruce's parents. Yeah. And then there was a little bit of me that was like, Mm. I wonder if it's their dad. Yeah. Somehow. But yeah. Anyway. Um, Spider Man. Spider Man. So I think that this was a pretty well executed. So if you compare this to Iron Man <laughs> executed fuck hundred last week and Amazing Spider Man eight hundred, um, this is way like, Iron Man was just all over the place and the art was all over the place. Um, this one actually like they they changed artists based on chapters of the story, and I think that was a good device instead mm-hmm. of just sort of randomly having it happen like they did with the Bendis one. Um, having chapters was really nice. Yeah, and they did like a clever little after credits scene that was real mm-hmm. cool. Um, I have like my complaint about Dan Slott's entire run is that I think like his plot stories are really cool. Like on paper, all of them are awesome pitches. Like Green Goblin is Carnage is an awesome idea. But uh, I don't really like his dialogue very much, and I've never like teared up reading his stuff. There's a big sort of emotional scene here, but he has been allowed to write Spider-Man for so long at this point that um, every story arc always ends, I feel like, the same to me. Like, with Spider-Man sort of dealing with the same like power responsibility thing, and in this one it's the same way, it... You know, if you like, even like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, you guys, that was so Yeah, this timeline's no good. No, we gotta go back. Booster, no. Oh, god, we gotta go back. Oh, god, that was no god. Now we're just stuck in this timeline. Oh, man. Oh, god, that was. Absolutely hey, terrifying. We're stuck in a timeline without Django now. Oh, it's not going to be dust bunnies ever again. <laughs> wow, the perfect timeline. Wow, wow. Um, Dan Slott's probably a very, I mean, he seems like a really like nice and awesome guy, but I just like, I don't, I don't, he can't really lay emotional punches that super, super work for me. Um, this timeline is no good. This timeline is no good. Yeah, um, I felt like when I was reading this, I'm like, I am reading a superhero comic book yeah. in all the best ways and in the lackluster ways. Like, it wasn't any of the things that make me go, whoa, that was a superhero book and that was really cool. But it was also like, yeah, I had fun reading it. That but, was an interesting yeah, story. It was not like, bad, for sure. Yeah. But this is like the sort of big 
climactic monologue moment for Spider-Man in this issue. And I swear to God, I've read it in every single Dan Slott arc where he says, you're wrong. I'm not alone. My friends, my family, they're with me. And everything I do, they teach me about courage and sacrifice. They give me something to fight for and to live up to. And it's just like, that's your big, like... Hmm punch dialogue is like you're right that scene has happened many times in yeah. the last especially X Dan number of Slots. years yeah. yeah it's like dude there was the one where he had to like build, build the armor because like no one dies or like that event oh, or right. like superior spider-man it's always like spider-man realizing the people around him give them the strength to do this thing and like spider-man is a more interesting and multi-dimensional character than that so i am very happy that this is the end of dan slot's run um not because any of the stories have been bad, but they've just never been as good as I feel like a Spider-Man book could and should be. Do you think they killed Flash because over Donny Cates' Venom book, Eddie Brock is Venom again? Mm. So Flash doesn't have a car- a superhero to be? <laughs> I, he's been anti-Venom for a while now. Yeah. I think they had to kill but, somebody, yeah. and he had the best option to be able to be more of a martyr than anybody yeah, else because yeah. it's the fact that he's anti-venom that he's able to save everyone else and sacrifice himself so it, it just mm. and we do get a good yeah. flash peter moment out of it yeah also cool. and i've it, and it fits flash's personality and yeah plus anti-venom i mean it's cool within these stories but by himself it's not a very interesting costume character <laughs> um and it's a I I've never been very into Humberto Ramos's art. Uh, no, no. Yeah, it's a bummer. And I remember like it stood out to me as not liking it in big time in like Bat or the Spider-Man story by Dan Slott. Like, or I don't know. He's 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 been a, st- a person that Dan Slott's used a lot. But yeah. um, it seems like such a missed opportunity to me to have Bat or sorry Batman Spider-Man show up in the black costume and have it look bad. Like, yeah. he looks like a children's anime character there. <laughs> and, like, Black Suit Spider-Man is one of the sexiest, coolest things in all of comics to me. Yeah, and yeah. it doesn't really pop against the page. It's just it's... so weird. I mean, I... No disrespect to anybody who loves Ramos. Yeah. He's... It's a very specific style, so it's definitely one of those you either really like it or you really don't. Yeah. And I... I can't stand it. And, like, Bendis, <laughs> you know how he has those artists that are, like, Bendis artists? Yeah. Dan Slott also has those Dan Slott artists, of which Humberto Ramos is one of, and I don't care about any of his artists. Like, <laughs> Giuseppe Camincoli has done a lot of his art, and I I do like his art. Stuart Eminen, who is an amazing artist, has done a ton of this run, and none of that art stands out. Like, even I would say the character design for the Carnage Goblin is on paper, one of the coolest things you can pitch and is executed super, super poorly in this. Like, he's just like a red-looking goblin. There's no, like, carnage in it, but there's mm-hmm. not what makes the Green Goblin cool mm-hmm. either. It's just like... I, anyway. anyway um, I I don't, I'm not trying to rain on it because it was 80 pages. It was a it was a good comic. It was a good superhero yeah. comic. For, how, for being 80 pages, I didn't give up halfway through or a third of the way through when I had a giant stack of other comics waiting to be read. Like, I I read the whole thing. I enjoyed myself, but it wasn't... Yeah, yeah. there's a it's, lot to pick apart about it. It's coming from a place of, like... It was perfectly acceptable. Yeah, yeah, it was perfectly acceptable. It's coming from a place of, like, I really enjoyed a lot of it, 
but there were these things that prevented me from it. So, like, that criticism really does come from a place of, like, genuinely appreciating it. So it's not that it's bad. It's that it was so close to being very, very good that the, the faults were very mm. clear. Um, I wish they could have got Alex Ross to do some interiors. Because I really love the covers of yeah. these issues. Yeah. Does he do any interiors at this point? I don't no. think so. He's no, just... he just does covers. And yeah. He just did Marvel's stuff. Justice and Kingdom Come, right? Like, what else has he done the interiors for? He did some interiors for some of those big, like, tabloid-sized oh, DC ones. stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I give this a 7.5. Um, way better executed than the Iron Man 600 Jam special they had just done. Um, but, you know, nothing special. Yeah. I'll go with a 7. Yeah. Yeah. It was solid. It was entertaining. Yeah. Won't stick out in my mind over time, but was worth the read. I think issue 801 is going to be good. There was a really good Dr. Octopus scene in it, and mm-hmm. and I realized, like, that's, I think, one of the triumphs of his run is what how he humanized mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Octopus as being a good guy and a bad guy and making you care about him, and that, that was a good one. Yeah, the whole Superior Spider-Man stuff was cool. This timeline is bad, guys. We have got yeah. to move on. Django <laughs> that, that is... That was my favorite Django moment ever. I was ever. just going to say, like, that That guy has a lot of burps and stinkers, but that was one of my most favorite Django things that he's ever done. Don't tell him that, though. Oh, yeah. We don't want him to know uh, that. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. Every time you okay, do that, Okay, not just top that. So. Yeah. Um, what do you think? Let's do one more, and then let's go into our buckshots, eh? Eh. <laughs> <laughs> Judge Dread Under Siege by Mark Russell and Max Dunbar. First time I've ever cared to read a Judge Dread comic. Right? I've read a handful of Judge Dreads. I always feel guilty for liking Judge Dredd because, you know, he's he's a fascistic douche, douchebag. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I hate this guy in real life, but some of his stories are real fun to read. Well, but isn't he one of those characters? This is the first Judge Dredd I've ever read, so this is... Just hearsay. But so no Judge Dreadman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Your your, fir- your first Red Dread. Um, is any one of those characters though that a lot of the stories are more? He's just the catalyst to read about. Yeah. The world that he happens yeah, to end so. up in at that point. It's about the characters that yeah. are around him at the time. Yeah. Okay. Did you see the movies? I have seen the movies. I zoned out half of. <laughs> I haven't seen any of them, but I started working at the shop around the time that oh, okay. second one, the one was Dread. The one, with, yeah. yeah, the one with Bones is awesome. Yeah, yeah, that, that one was, was one that, a lot better. People, the Stallone one is fun because it's stupid eighties. It's fun. Stallone. It is okay. <laughs> no, well, I, I watched it not too Clement long ago. Very I was... good facial expression, y'all miss. <laughs> okay, maybe it wasn't fun. I haven't seen it in at least twenty years. So. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm trying to rewatch it. It's uh, <laughs> okay. I was expecting a fun bad action movie because I love that, and I, it was kind of boring. Wait, am I confusing it with the Stallone one where he's a time traveling cop? Yeah, Demolition Man. Demolition Man is fun. Yeah, no, Judge Dredd is. It's pretty. Boring. It's got a young Diane Lane as a supposedly like great feminist judge and she's like uh, but judge she's Anderson, really maybe? not i don't oh, okay. you're looking at the so wrong what? person i don't know things <laughs> so mark russell wrote this he did flintstones, flintstones snagglepuss, snagglepuss a couple superman shorts and this and prez mark we love you prez. we love you mark so colette you've read more of his body of work than i think any of us at this point where are you caught up on snagglepuss 
Yeah, I've, I've, I've read. Cool. All that so stuff you guys are both. He's ahead of me because I haven't read okay. the second volume of Flintstones yet. Okay. Because I am boring. Sure, and sure. Stupid. Uh, <laughs> neither of those things. If the baby is sucking up all your attention span. <laughs> you really is. Let's blame. <laughs> just so y'all know, I blame the baby for everything. We're gonna play this episode for him on all of his birthdays. Yeah. 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 I think <laughs> if you've got to be pregnant, at least you get to like use it as an excuse for everything that you don't want to do. <laughs> well, I think the rest of us should start using our pregnancies as an excuse. Yeah. And my, my yeah, ear belly. You can just say sympathy, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, I got sympathy cramps. I got to sit down, guys. <laughs> so, what do you guys? What did you think of this issue uh, as Mark Russell people? I liked it. I'm excited for what's to come. There's a lot of setup in this one, but you can tell that it's setting up a richer world than I would usually expect yeah. to experience. Yeah. From there's a there's enough of those little. Russell moments thrown in um, in some of the signage and whatnot, or like they end up in the chapel in this block that's under siege from the mutants from outside, and it's the the Church of the Holy Question Mark. Yeah, and uh, a non-denominational experience. Mm-hmm. And they've got this like, um, you know, click click what you need help with today from their robotic chaplain and it's validation afraid of dying um directions thank you guilt and anger and i just and and the the symbols for the different religions that are represented include a dollar sign Mm -hmm. and like just i i love those details that he throws into his stuff that and that was the big thing for me in this issue was like the amount of world building that went in like Mm -hmm. Not much character work, and that seems like the cool part of Judge Red to me is like the the world is the more interesting yeah. part, and this is just really good sci-fi. Like his writing, you know, they've got the big towers that are whole like basically cities, and uh, and like the way that they've designed like the mutants taking over that and the waste system, and then it was you know it only. Like, it was abandoned before it was finished, but it has this advanced waste system, but then, like, it was all that it was good for, so it was using, like, other, you know, city towers were using that as their waste disposal, which is how people are getting in, and... Yeah, and that was their only industry until it failed. And it's just, like... Yeah, and they, like, they get in there, and it turns out that basically the drug lords of the building are working as the police for the building, too. Like, they're protecting and... Um, the citizens and trying to take out the mutants that are invading and that like back and forth of who's good and who's bad in a corrupt world. And And it wasn't anything like totally earth shattering or brand new, but it was just like an influx of new, well thought out concepts from a guy that um, is really good at critiquing current day society. Mm -hmm. And it had sort of airs of like idiocracy in it to me that, that judge dread or that, Mike Judge t- movie. Oh, yeah. right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like that, like, having not, having half paid attention to two movies and not read any Judge Dredd, <laughs> I didn't feel like I didn't know what was going on. It's, it's doesn't hit you over the head with all the details you need to know, but it spells everything out enough mm-hmm. that you're not lost or fumbling your way through while trying to learn the characters. And right. Yeah, I was really impressed with the fact that it didn't start off going, in the year, blah, 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 the judges, blah, blah, blah. It just gets right into it, and it's so well done here, these first three paragraphs, three panels, where he just says the judges always wear their, their armors, always in their uniform to convey the message that 
we're the law. We don't have to hide. We don't have to do anything undercover. Just, you know, obey or, you know, don't do criminals. And then the fact, and they never even mentioned the fact that uh, the joke here when we finally seen, see the horrible, horrible waste chute that people or the mutants are coming into the Patrick Swayze block. Because he never explains the joke that says mega shitty one. Judge Dredd, the, in this future, the mega cities have all expanded, like the West Coast will have like one mega city. And so Judge Dredd lives in mega city one because they're just all numbered. And then within these, they have these gigantic apartment blocks that are like mini cities themselves, like the Patrick Swayze block, which is where this is happening. So his joke here about mega shitty one, unless he doesn't even bother explaining, mentioning mega city. So you don't even get that. And I really mm -hmm. like the fact, if you're not familiar, I really like the fact he didn't explain mm -hmm. that. It's just yeah. there. Yeah, I I would go with I I I guess my theme tonight is sevens pretty much. I I would give it a seven. I'm I'm excited to work, see where it goes. Jackpot seems like a a great vehicle for Russell to be able to do his political commentary that's not hitting you over the head. Yeah. It, yeah. That's funny because I, I was also thinking seven. I'll give, oh, it, oh. <laughs> I'll give I'll give it a seven. Yeah, and. Oh, I'm very interested to see where it goes. I love the fact they have the Patrick Swayze blog. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, oh. that yeah? was Dude. riveting. What do you think about Roman having three minutes to talk about all of the Hanna-Barbera books? Go! Go! Oh, my God. Super Sons Dynamite and the Blue Falcon by Peter Tomasi. And, oh, who's this artist? This is a great artist. I wouldn't worry about it right now. You've only okay. got three minutes. But it's an awesome artist. This was this is one of my picks of the week, like my top three of the week. It was so touching. Blue Falcon and Dynamite. If you don't know a Hanna-Barbera character from the 70s, Blue Falcon's basically a Batman character. Dynamite is his dog that was old and dying, so he used his smarts and made it cybernetic. And this is just a story of a good boy and, and his his pal, his human pal, and trying to save each other. And it's so touching. It's just so touching. The art is beautiful. This, I would give this a 10. 10 right there. Aquaman, Aqu Aquaman Jabberjaw. That was fun. Nothing special, but it was a fun book. They didn't try to pretend that Jabberjaw was in the same realities of the DC Universe the whole time. The Captain Caveman backup is really awesome because it ties Captain Caveman in with the Wizard Shazam. Black Lightning Hong Kong Fooey. Nice, you got two minutes to talk about this one. It was okay. It wasn't as awesome as I thought it would be, but I love Hong Kong Fooey. The Funky Phantom story in the back is awesome because it's a liberal rant again about gun control, which I'm all for, so that was cool. Flash and Speed Buggy by Scott Lobdell. Oh, I give this a two. It was so disappointing. Ooh. I mean, it's just the art is inconsistent. The story is dumb. Uh, uh, Roman, <laughs> you are notoriously slow on your buckshot rounds, and you just went through four <laughs> books on a minute and a half, and all you have left is the garbage book to talk about. <laughs> uh, does talk the Dynamite one take place in our universe? Do they it does. Force our it does. It's, got, it's got Robin and Superboy in it, Damien, and apparently... Big City is the name of the city where Dynamite is, and and Blue Falcon's outside Gotham. They apparently they've been in DC continuity the whole time because Robin has met Blue Falcon and Dynamite before. They've had Why adventures. Why did make that sound? <laughs> I hate Damien. Oh, oh. <laughs> well, that, despite that, you'll like the the good boy. I mean, this is a good boy story. Dynamite's a good boy. You are getting Braden and I Blue, interest peaked with all yeah, this good boy. Yeah, it's all throughout this issue, and the, uh, even a spoiler. Dynamut reveals in a touching scene that, because he always called him on the cartoon, he'd say, call Blue Falcon BF. 
He says in this, he says, you know, everybody thinks BS stood for, stood for Blue Falcon. When I said it, 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 it stood for best friend. Oh. And it's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's the blue falcon said or the dog? That's what the dog said. I like the dynamite can talk. Yeah, it's just such a beautiful story. And I'm going to read it. And I'm going to, where's this artist's name? And it's the whole thing. There's no backup story. This artist I'm not familiar with. I can't find the credits page, but the art is gorgeous. It's kind of in the Ethan Van Skyver, George Perez. name. Oh, oh Fernando Passerian, penciler. Mm. Yeah, and Eau Claire Albert, inker. These guys did a great job. Oh, and it's called The Dog Night. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I give that one a 10. I give The Flash and Speed Buggy a 2. Black Lightning, Hong Kong Fui, because Hong Kong Fui is so cool. And the backup story, I'll give that a 7. Aquaman Jabberjaw, I'll give a 6. Um, Roman, that was definitely the most effective use of time you've used in a, in a buckshot. So cool. congratulations. That Thank was you. great. Well, you were reminding me. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank, uh, you. Thank you. Yeah, great work. Colette, how do you feel about buckshotting? <laughs> oh, God, <laughs> it's that God. good sound. <laughs> Colette, you got a minute and a half on the clock starting. Not quite yet. Not quite uh-huh. yet. Hang out for a minute. How's your day been? It's been good. Well, I spent most of it at the place. Okay, so I read X-Men Red Annual number one. This was cool. This was like a prequel to X-Men Red. If you read uh, Phoenix Resurrection, you will want to read this because it leads directly off of the end of that. And it's once Jean Grey was resurrected, then she had to go say hi to some people that she hasn't seen since she died. And uh, it was a, a good read. I really disliked the art on it was one of those books where like you'd look at one page and it'd look cool and the next page and it'd be like ugh, what the hell's going on this is ugly <laughs> uh but uh yeah as a story totally good read uh i also read the realm number six which just started back up again uh this is kind of like they've gone off on a little tangent um this is the orc slayer rook and one of the characters whose name i can never remember off trying to find, uh, you know, honestly, I really should have reread the last issue before I read this one because I can't remember what's going on, but it was a pretty book. Jeremy Hahn's art is gorgeous as always, and it's just a fun adventure story, even if you can't remember what happened in the last issue. Totally good. Uh, I read Pestilence, A Story of Satan, number one. Um, <laughs> I read this. It, um, it was a book. Uh, it was fine. It wasn't, like, as campy as I would want something like this to either be or as deep and gritty and, I don't know. It's it's the right book for someone, but it wasn't for me. And I also... Oh, okay, never mind. I'm done. <laughs> I thought you were reaching for a cookie at the end there. No, <laughs> I thought I might have time to mention the one other book that oh, I read. Oh, that's all right. I'll talk about that one because yeah. I didn't read a lot of other ones. Um but I really like the idea of you grabbing a cookie. <laughs> I mean, I'll do that, too. I'm pretty much never not eating these days, so. Um, score? Oh, yeah, scores. Sorry. Um, yeah, X-Men Red Annual. I will give... Uh, I'm kind of loath to give something else a 7 again. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's go with a 6.5, just because I really didn't like the art, but the story was totally cool. Um... The Realm number six, I would give a 7.5 because it's pretty. Mm. And uh, Pestilence, the story of Satan number one, I I have a hard time giving a book like this a score just because it just was not 
the book for me. So Dude, this realm book is super pretty. Jeremy Hahn's art is gorgeous. Yeah. It, it, I. The if you, yeah, this is the first store issue of the new arc. Okay. Um, yeah, it like first volume of that is so pretty. First volume of the beauty he did all the art for. Um, he writes them too, along with someone else for each book. But uh, his his stuff is so gorgeous. Um, best, I don't know. I give it a four point five. Yeah. Okay. There we go. Um. <laughs> Can I read that X-Men annual without being familiar with, like, all the issues before it? Well, do you know who Jean Grey is? Yes. Do you know who Magneto is? Yeah. Okay. As long as you know who the Nets is, the Neto yeah. is. Yeah. yeah. So I prefer the, the pronunciation Magneto. Hey, they- Colette, would you mind hitting start <laughs> for me at any point? I do mind, but oh. I guess I'll do it anyway. Oh, Lockjaw's in life. it. Lockjaw is in it. Oh. Uh-huh. I like Lockjaw. I like and... Him. Get ready. I'm so ready. Are you ready? Yeah. Almost ready to go? I'm ready. I'm going. I'm going now. You can go. Okay. (laughs) Um, I read We Are Danger, We Are The Danger, number one, um, by Fabian Lillet. I don't have a ton to talk about, so I'm going to go kind of peacefully through here. Um, This was a Black Mask book, but what was really unique about this one is that it felt exactly like a boom book. It felt like... Um, it felt like Hi-Fi Fight Club or Dodge City or the first issue of a lot of those boom books that are sort of establishing teens and teen environments with lots of pretty colors and youthful words like fidget and vape um, <laughs> and a double-page spread that looks like a cassette tape. Um, I thought it was I thought it was pretty good. I. It suffers from the fact that it's a black mask book. So I wanted, I recommended this to Jay Christensen, who's amazing, who has a 10-year-old, 11-year-old daughter now. Um, And I was like, I think she would like it. And then I was like, I actually don't know if at any point this took a really adult turn or something. So I... I don't know. I, it's worth checking out. It's it's like a boom book. It seems sort of like a paint-by-the-numbers boom book. Uh, I would almost be a little bit insulted if I were boom. And I also read Marvel 2 and 1, The Thing and Human Torch. This is the return of Jim Chung on art. It was pretty good. Um, I'm kind of... if I would like to just get to when the Fantastic Four comes back. I've liked this series a pretty good amount so far, but this one got a little bit lost in the weeds, and I'm excited for, uh, I'm excited for it to be done. I'm excited for the Fantastic Four to be back. Was the, oh. was the Doom Thing stuff cool? No, this was Did like, you, turn off you just your... sort of touch it, but make sure you don't get to the dick pics. There's lots of dick pics. Here, I'll take that. Make it go away. <laughs> oh, the di- you found the dick pics then. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's the ongoing joke in my house is there's a lot of dick pics on my phone. I don't know where it came from. Um, <laughs> I looked up to see if I should make a joke. Um, no, this was, this was, it's sort of, I don't, it felt like it had been way long between this issue and the last issue. Um, so the th- the thing, Doom stuff, was not super good. Mm. Um, I would say that the weak part of Zdarsky's run is that he doesn't have a very good voice for Doom. Mm. Um, and his his thing and Johnny stuff has been pretty good. And uh, this is a lot of Doom. And um, the art is very pretty. Jim Chung does gorgeous stuff. But, yeah, I'm, 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 I don't know. I have weird feelings about it. I give that one uh, a 7 and We Are the Danger a 6.5, but I do think that there are some people that would really like We Are the Danger, and um, I I don't know if I really clearly illustrated that it's like young people forming a rock band. That's what that book is about. I sort of just talked about the 
the context of the publisher and the, the book, but it's about uh, kids forming a rock band. Is the band called The Danger? It's called We Are The Danger. Oh, We Are The... Oh. And somebody gets kicked out of a different Those rock kids. band, and they form this new one, and it's just very, like, high schooly, junior high, high schooly. Um, and I think that's really, really good. That sounded very disparaging the way I just said it, but... Um, I, I I do mean it in a positive I miss way. High school, I, I I like high school. Books. Yeah, I had a killer time. I've I did too. I loved high school. Yeah, <laughs> um, I hated high school with a passion. Most people I know hated high school. Yeah, I, most I loved, I loved my drama department. That's how I managed to graduate <laughs> high school. But total drama kid over here. <laughs> yeah. So guys, bringing this whole thing home, we finished those epic epic buckshots. Colette, epic buckshot. By Thank the you. way, Thank uh, you. Rome doggy Thank dog, epic buckshot. Yeah. I don't know if I gave We Are the Dangerous score. Did you? What, what, what would you give it? Six in okay. this moment right now. Um, Man of Steel number one by Brian Bendis and Ivan Reese. We fi- Bendis finally came to DC. He's here. <laughs> He's here. He's got a whole issue of a very muscular Superman on the front. Yeah, look at that chest. Look at that chin. I don't like smug his face. Smirk. He's yeah. so he smug. So I don't like it either. The colors are real nice. Wonder Woman looks hot. Yeah, well, Wonder Woman's yeah. always pretty Flash hot. Flash has a nice smile. Yeah. This book did some really cool stuff. We were all pretty <laughs> skeptical on the two Bendis shorts that had yep. come out before this. And yep. none of them, in my mind, really highlighted the character or got me excited about the story because reinventing the story of why Krypton blew up is not a new thing. I don't know who let Bendis no. think that that was a new thing. But that was only several pages of this 22-issue comic. And the other pages that were not that, I really liked. I really liked Superman, Superman's voice, and how people interacted with him. I, I really liked all that. I didn't necessarily care about the bad guy, but right. I am excited to read the story. I liked it a lot more than I thought I was going to. I like getting to read, like, much more... I guess what in for superheroes would be a mundane day of like super there's a big building on fire and Superman's just swooping in to save some kids and put out the fire and interacting with this new fire inspector or whatever she is and I just yeah I these it feels like we've we've lost that just day to day superhero Mm -hmm. story a lot I totally agree and and it was really refreshing to have a just a, a day in the life of Superman kind of a, a story. And, and having not read any Superman before, just because, I mean, I've read him in other stories, but I, he just hasn't ever grabbed me. And I don't know, the familiarity of Bendis's writing and the comfort with, I, I really like the way he writes his dialogue and, and the flow of his stuff. It mm. made it, for a book about a whole bunch of characters I know nothing about, it was a lot easier to read than a lot of times. I didn't feel lost, which was really nice. He introduced a new character. Well, I mean, he introduced a bunch of new characters, but we got angry bad guy who is pleading with the wise people of the universe to end end the Kryptonian's reign over the universe because they basically use less fortunate races' resources to benefit their own scientific needs. Um, yeah, they're colonizers. Yeah, for sure. Conquerors. And... I don't necessarily love changing Kryptonians to be that. <laughs> no. Um, but he introduced this cool uh, fire marshal lady that Superman has kind of a flirtatious relationship with in the three pages they spent together. And I liked her a lot. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I like most of this issue I did not like. I mean, as long-time listeners know, I'm not a Bendis fan. Don't care about this new villain. Don't like rewriting, like you said, Krypton's history again. But the two moments I really liked in this, the page where Superman is hovering near the planet and he kind of accidentally overhears this woman singing a song to her friend and the way Superman's narration talking about that song and feeling a little embarrassed that he eavesdropped, not meaning to, that was a beautiful moment. Mm -hmm. And the moments when he meets this fire marshal, that was beautiful. So like three pages out of this I liked, and the rest I did not. That's four pages. <laughs> four pages. Roman. Four pages, and okay. that is one-fifth of the issue. Ooh, one-fifth. See, math. I don't get 20%. Math. Yeah. But the rest, I don't know. And I like his... Though he has a Bendis moment with dialogue that I didn't like, but... Uh, so my, my thing is, we've got Bendis coming to DC. Like, that is um, an instance of a brand-new voice coming to a new playground. And my big problem is that they are giving him all of, like, the house DC artists. Like, Ivan Reese is just as middle-of-the-road DC. Like, it's it's good mm-hmm. art, but there's nothing new about it. Right. And they've got Bendis on Superman. I, I'm really excited that he's doing DC books. I want to read that. And there was very good moments in here. But it seems like a real flawed execution to me to have him team up with like hey we want to get a new voice in here but we want to dress it up like it's the same like i don't know yeah isn't that a whole shtick that they're doing i feel like i saw an ad somewhere where it's like each issue of this little mini story arc is going to be with like a tried and true dc artist yeah oh is and that what's happening i don't need yeah. that yeah i i mean that's one of the things that i i tend to be a little less drawn to dc books um in general about is that I feel like, I mean, there's definitely exceptions, but I, I always feel like the art's a little predictable Mm -hmm. or like I, they all look like variations on the same to me. And I'm, I'm sure someone's, at least someone is going to come up to me next Wednesday and tell me how I'm very wrong about that and what I need to be reading. But I totally agree with you. I mean, I think it's just, I, the covers, I, it's so hard to pick out a cover artist. I love their B covers because they're different and they're mm-hmm. interesting because all their cover art tends to be the same and the interior art tends to be this quality, but there's a house run style. of the mill. Yeah. yeah. Like, and I want to see, I want my art to emote the story as much as the story does. And, and like, I want uniqueness and Bendis mm-hmm. does have a unique voice and it's even more unique within DC and yeah. Marvel has a house style also like that Definitely. sort of, you know, like, even just uh, Eminem in this amazing Spider-Man run is like sort of the Marvel house style to me, which is just sort of like big colors, thick ink line, solid colors. I don't I, there, There's an aesthetic that both company has and Bendis is great at finding unique artists and having a unique mm-hmm. voice. So let him do that. Don't just be like, Hey, we got this new voice wrapped as a Christmas present of DC. You've all recognized this. Like, yeah. yeah. I heard yeah. that their order numbers were pretty low on this series and they were really surprised by that. And I'm like, well, I'm not surprised by that. Right. Right. And, yeah. And visually, this new villain, I don't even know his name. Um, Something Thar. Rogol, Rogol Zar. And he looks like, you know, a minor Green Lantern. Well, because Ivan Rice is doing it, I guess. A minor Green Lantern villain. I mean, mm-hmm. he's just so uninteresting. Yeah, I would say that the uninteresting stuff is the art. 
and sort of the main conceit of the story. But I do think that like Bendis is voiced in a DC, his voice in a DC context is something that I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. Like you said, I do want that the day in the life of a hero type of thing. I love he really creates some wonderful moments. Yep. Even if you don't enjoy the overarching story or if the plot on some of his stuff is lagging, I feel like there's always at least one moment in any issue of anything of Bendis's that I read that's like, that was a really lovely, really human yeah. interaction or I moment, totally agree, and, yeah. and it makes it worth reading to me. And Yeah, yeah, I wish this issue, and of course it can't be the first issue, blah, 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 but if it all, the whole issue had been that page and like the page, the pages of meeting that firefighter, that, that would have been great. Just those human moments with Superman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I had no idea what was going on at the end of this book. I just figured oh, yeah. out in that fire scene that I couldn't figure out what that blue thing was. It's him blowing his super breath. Because yeah. he, he can't, oh, I, I didn't figure that out until just now. Oh. Yeah, the, I don't know what happened in the last two pages of this book. I, I didn't understand the first couple pages. Basically anything that wasn't Superman directly in the city. Um, dealing with the fire or... Oh, the stuff in the past. Firebug with the... new the, villain talking to the yeah. council of whatever. What is the deal with a cardboard stand-up of Lois Lane and her office? I don't understand that either, because that happened in another issue, yeah, and I thought Django, it was a window I, yeah, into her office. Too. But no, it's Django a poster it, yeah. or something of her. Oh, that's not her? No, it's I just this she weird cardboard no, stand-up oh, in her office because she's yeah. gone on the planet. I don't know what the hell that is. So something has happened in Bendis' run where she's not around, which to me yeah. left some room for him to be flirting with Which this. is weird, because she was around. Yeah, immediately, oh, three weeks ago. And this ending, it's like suddenly we're back in Crisis on Infinite Earths. What yep. the? Convergence. <laughs> yeah, Convergence. What the? Um, all right, you guys, what, what do you give it? I, I give it a 7.5. I actually, I, there's nothing new about Ivan Reese's art, which is offensive to me, but he's a great artist. So at worst, I would just say this is kind of bland at times. So actually, I'll give it a seven. But I, I am like I, I'm excited to read the rest of it. I, I this is gonna be a good miniseries. I like it. Um, I'll give it a five. I'll read the next one, I guess, because I love Superman. Yeah, you couldn't not read a Superman book. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was better than like this week's No Justice, which I thought was horrible. <laughs> um, I would give Man of Steel a a six. For the opposite reason that Roman gave it a five, in that I like Bendis, but I don't usually care about Superman. Uh, but I'll keep reading it. And yeah, for characters I don't really care about, I enjoyed it enough to pick up the next issue. You guys are great. <laughs> I, was, I was just thinking, I love you so guys. Are you. you guys. <laughs> love you guys. There's like just two more amicable, amicable people I can't think about uh, hanging out with. You know, they're your. <laughs> Thanks for being on the podcast. If you're at this point in the podcast, that means that you've listened to a chunk of it, and we gave you wow. an hour to an hour and a half of entertainment, or at least information. If you could please, like seriously, please go into iTunes or whatever app that you're using to rate podcasts and give us a rating, um, whether it's good or bad, please give us a rating. Um, new listeners, the the algorithms for which search results for podcasts comes out is, is based on... Um, the the ratings and numbers of ratings that we have so uh we have a lot of listeners here in washington but it would be awesome to get further out than that so if you're more people need to know about roman's debauchery that's the thing is he's fucking disgusting in spite of how cute and owl like he is Um, captain caveman (laughs) no but really i don't think it's super hard i think that it's as simple as just 
bop and a star if you scroll down um, and you have the choice to write something. You don't even have to do that. But if you could please write a review for us or just leave some stars, it would mean a lot to us and it would mean some more people could be listening to the show and that would be really, really cool. And so I'm Jeff and my phone is going off behind me. Woot. <laughs> Popular boy. I'm Colette. Oh, and I'm Roman. Um, and I've discovered I really like Buffalo Ranch Hello? Pringles. Huh? Who's this? Who's this? Hello? Perfectly acceptable podcast. Is this a voice call? Do we have a, do we have a caller? No. Call. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And that's Sam Konechka. And we'll see y'all next week. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye.